and welcome to Property Matters here on Dublin South FM. You can contact the show on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. My first guest today is Martina Hennessy, Managing Director of Doddle. Martina, you're very welcome to the show. Tell us about Doddle. Thank you, Carl. So Doddle is a mortgage broker. So we have access to eight major lenders under one roof. So we would offer mortgages for clients who are purchasers. So first time buyers and movers. And also a huge element of our business would be switchers. So people who have an existing mortgage and are looking to switch to save on interest. So we have a digital platform that allows you to see on our site what you can save by switching or what your repayments would be if you're looking to take out a mortgage. And then we offer an end to end digital service where our clients will complete an application in digital format. They will upload their documents and we would work then on, we have a team of specialist mortgage advisors who'd work to find the best mortgage for their personal options. We're regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland and um, who monitor the, the work that we do in terms of um, the clients when they come to us, what product suits them best and the reason why they would take a mortgage with a particular lender. Very good. Martina, most people will have heard of Doddle if they listen to the radio in their car at all. Because <laughs> for the last number of years, you've had a really catchy, uh, a really catchy um, kind of ad running across Irish radio jingle I won't sing it Carl but yeah it is a bit of an earworm um, they, people either like it or love it or hate it I think maybe we maybe we could be kind of a par on that I'm not sure uh, but certainly it's one that my kids go around the kitchen singing so yeah it must stick in somebody's head <laughs> you know I, I love it before we came on air you mentioned that your kids brought their teeth to it and I think that's fantastic so now <laughs> when I hear it on the radio I'm not just going to think about the service I'm going to think about actually getting your kids to brush their teeth as well so I, I think that's a great one but um, and, but the reason I mention it is that it's so difficult with something like mortgages people tend not to, tend to think that there isn't much difference and I think anything that you can do to stand out and say well actually no it's not business as usual here we're taking a, a different view or a different approach to the mortgage market I think that's a really powerful tool and that's actually why I wanted to speak to you today so before we get into kind of the specifics of Doddle, you might just give listeners an overview of the mortgage market. It's been a bit of a confusing time out there in the mortgage market. Yes, so absolutely, Carl. So there's 10 lenders at the moment in the Irish market. So it's a small market in general. The number of mortgage uh, mortgages drawn down on an annual basis are relatively low. Like we're like Manchester, effectively, if you look at the, the numbers. So there doesn't need to be a huge number of, of banks in the mortgage market, but there definitely needs to be competition. And over the last number of years, we've been lucky enough to have some new entrants, such as Avant Money, um, ICS Mortgages and Finance Ireland. So there are new players that are coming into the market. They don't have a branch network. They don't have a back book of trackers and um, arrears and so therefore they have the same regulation same capital requirements but they're able to lend at a much lower level so you've seen some sort of a sh- shake up in the market then the last 18 months rates have really reduced um, and then you have the main players like Bank of Ireland and AIB and PTSB who hold most of mar- market share we've been really um, I suppose unlucky to for, for want of a better word to have um, uh, have seen the, the exit of both Ulster Bank and KBC or the, the exit that's going through for both Ulster Bank and KBC with Ulster Bank's loan book being um, transferred or sold to PTSB and KBCs to Bank of Ireland. So Ulster Bank and KBC were some of the more competitive lenders on market over the last number of years. So anything or any lender that leaves the market, it's actually the mortgage market, 
that where they have offered lower rates in the past, you know, is a real loss to the consumer. So I suppose the market has contracted slightly in terms of KBC and Ulster Bank's exit, even though KBC are still lending, Ulster Bank are lending to Ulster Bank customers. But, you know, we really need to look now as consumers and say, OK, these new players that have come into market, the Abans, the ICS, the Finance Ireland, they're offering lower rates. They're offering longer mortgage terms. They're offering overpayment on rates. You know, we need to look outside of the standard pillar banks and really try and increase competition in the market because competition in the market is the only thing that will create discipline and ensure that lenders maintain rates, that ensure that lenders are competitive. And, um, you know, as Irish consumers, you know, there's a real lack of switching in the Irish market. Thankfully, there's been a surge in switching numbers over the last two years. But really, it's really important for Irish consumers to take control over their mortgages. Once you take out your mortgage, it's most likely your largest financial commitment. So it's really important that you take control of that and try and reduce your interest as low as possible. And that means shopping around for better rates when it's right to do so. Okay, Martina, there's so much in what you said there that I I definitely need to break it down because um, I love that you're encouraging people to take control of their their uh, mortgage and their financial life because I think that's something that's been really lacking in this industry. So that and and I say that from a personal and professional <laughs> perspective. So we definitely want to talk about that. Um, you um, Ulster Bank and KBC leaving. I definitely want to talk to you about what the implications are for current mortgage holders. But you mentioned something there that you know, has been a bit of a bugbear of mine over the past number of years. And it's something that's come up in media maybe, you know, every every year or so. But lack of competition in the market that, you know, you talk about how greater competition in the market will will bring a greater discipline. And that's what we want to see. But competition in the market when two of our fairly large mortgage players are exiting and it doesn't seem like we're we are a welcoming market for European providers. What can we do to increase the competition in the marketplace? Yeah, I, I suppose if you look at it, the, the the good thing about the last number of years and the, the new lenders that have come in, they've come into the market and they, you know, there's been a lot. They they've done better than they expected to do. So if we look at the numbers that were underwritten by by say Avant Money by um, ICS, their numbers have been announced recently. They doubled what they expected to do in the Irish market initially when they came in. So that that will be encouraging for for other entrants to market. It is expected that there will be new entrants to market this year. Moco um, and you know, and First Citizen may enter the market once they they have a license to 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 uh, a regulatory license there's also like options for digital players such as N26 Revolut to again provide mortgages in the Irish market and that would be seen that would be fantastic for, from, from a competitive point of view even on the switching side so even on the switching side to create more um, I suppose competition in the market reduces rates so it's certainly something that is welcome but again the size of the Irish market is restrictive so it's not appealing um, to many other lenders to come in also the level of, of, of um, f- funding that we have to hold for mortgage lending in Ireland you know it's three times the, the level that would be in, say, Germany, for example. So that's costly to banks. So when banks are looking at the Irish market, they're saying it's a small market. You know, what, you know, how can they manage their costs? How can they manage? They can certainly introduce low rates because, again, they can access low rates on market. But it's just in terms of lending, will there be enough to sustain and, and to have that, I suppose, that, that breadth and depth to be able to lend in, in a constructive manner? Uh, Martina, you've mentioned two players there, one potential and one uh, financial services that could potentially enter that I haven't heard of before, MoCo and N26. I think most people will be familiar with uh, Revolut and possibly even First Citizen. And it was interesting just this weekend to see Revolut going into the pet insurance. Yes. So 
pet insurance to mortgages. I don't know. Is, is that a big leap? But um, MoCo and N26, I, I've never heard uh, those I suppose, I suppose um, MoCo, it's been in, in, in widely in the press that they are um, entering the Irish market this year. They're awaiting regulatory licence. Um, N26 is just, you know, a, a, a digital player out there that could potentially easily access given the number of account holders and the number of consumers they have in the Irish market. That's, I suppose, further down the line. If you look at it, it would be like Revolut coming to the market. They'd be able to offer a kind of a digital proposition to consumers. They have a very strong Irish consumer base. So it would be, as you see the evolution of insurance products, you may see the evolution into mortgage products if they can kind of, uh, you know, as an additional service once they get their structure right in terms of how they lend and their regulatory position in order. Okay. And again, I presume we... We want to see as many new players coming into the Irish market as possible. Well, I suppose we want competition within the Irish market. So when you have market share in, in the main being held by three players now, so with PTSB, AIB and Bank of Ireland, we need consumers to look outside of those main pillar banks and look at the new entrants, look at the lenders that are offering the lower rates and, you know, and, and take your mortgage with them if you're looking to take out your mortgage. There's a massive difference between rates on offer by lender. And if we look again at some of the lower level lenders and the new entrants to market, they're offering rates at, at 90% finance of 225 percent where the main players will be up towards three percent for the exact same product so i suppose what i'd say is when you're taking out a mortgage i know people are nervous when they're taking out a mortgage as a first time buyer or a second time buyer and they want to get a mortgage and they want to get it for the level they want but just to be aware that there's multiple players on market and that's why getting the getting advice from a broker is key because brokers offer market-based advice we offer advice across a range of lenders and the idea and i suppose the objective of a broker is to find a mortgage that best suits your needs so we all are aware of the, the central bank rules and the central bank limits on lending and that they're restrictive. So anybody who's buying in an urban area, they'll be aware of what exceptions are. And exceptions are available across all lenders. But really, if you're looking to take out a mortgage, it's important to understand what each lender will offer you because it, it varies by lender based on variable income, based on, you know, if you bonus or commission or overtime. So it's important to shop around and take your mortgage, both from a mortgage eligibility point of view, but also in terms of rate. Well, We'll get on to the wider issue of shopping around in a moment. For those mortgage holders um, who are currently with uh, Ulster Bank and KBC, what what um, options do they have? Yeah, so while they're with KPC and Ulster Bank, if they're on fixed rates or if they're on a variable rate, at, well, until their mortgage is, is assigned, the rate would still apply. But even after their mortgage is assigned, if you're on a fixed rate, for example, with, with Ulster Bank and you're partway through that, that rate will continue to apply even if your mortgage is assigned or sold to PTSB. So there's no immediate urgency to switch your mortgage. However, some of the lenders are now offering switcher packages for the exiting lenders, I suppose, to encourage lending, to, to, to access new business. But those lenders also have low rates. So I suppose if you look at it, KBC and Ulster Bank were some of the lower rate lenders. So in terms of switching to another lender, it, you know, the savings may not be vastly different to what you're repaying now, but what you're locking down is certainty. Because what we do know is permanent TSB and Bank of Ireland, who those loans are being sold to, they have some of the higher rates on market. So you'd be going from a lender that has some of the, had some of the lower rates, being KBC and Ulster Bank, to a position where when you roll off your fixed rate, the 
rate that would apply would be the lender that now owns your loan. So if that's Bank of Ireland or PTSB, their rates as it stands would be higher than some of the some of the other, much higher than some of the other lower cost lenders on market. So many people are taking charge. They're saying, okay, well, when I'm switching my current account, I'm going to start looking at switching my mortgage. And so that's why this year in 2022 will most likely be the year of the switcher because we'll see so many people who have been prompted. They've had to switch, whereas consumers in Ireland will kind of need to be pushed to switch. So it, it, it's a funny one, even though there's such a huge savings to make by switching, unless we're our hand is nearly forced to do so, such as the case of exiting lenders like Ulster Bank in particular, where their current accounts are, are you know, are, are now being transferred to other providers. Um, it, you know, we nearly need to be forced to do it, where we should be proactive in looking at our rate at regular intervals to see if we could save. Martina, why is that? I mean, you, I, I heard you say that, that there has been a surge in um, switching, which is great, but that actually there is a certain apathy towards switching. We tend to just accept the rates. We tend not to look um, outside. So just I, I'm, I'm really interested in the psychology of switching and why we don't do it. And it's something I think 10 years ago we were having a conversation about why people don't switch the utilities or yeah. the home providers. So this is not mortgage specific, This, but is it Irish specific? You know what? I suppose that the big thing is with with switching. Yeah, I think we're we're a loyal we're a loyal um, consumer. The Irish consumer loyal. is loyal. <laughs> loyal or lazy? Genuinely, is it loyalty or lazy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think you know what? I think it's it's now's the time if you were ever going to look to switch because of the increasing cost of living. Now's the time to make sure you're paying as little as you could possible on everything to do with your whole household. We are good at switching utilities. You know, at switching our our insurance, etc. But the the big ticket item always and the one that we'll always call out is that your mortgage. If you're a homeowner and you have a mortgage, the one thing that will come out of your bank account, apart from childcare sometimes, but it is, is your mortgage. It's your big ticket item. So that's the one to look at. And I think, Carl, a lot of people don't appreciate the huge savings that can be made by switching or they feel, oh God, sure, look at the banks will always win out in the end. You know, but when you have a mortgage, the big thing is you have to take control of it. You have to be so proactive in looking at your rate. And I think there's, a, there's I suppose, an emotion involved where you think, God, when I purchased my house, it was so difficult. You know, I had to find a property. I had to get the level I wanted wanted to, to get to buy and, you know, you, you associate your mortgage with your home. And also, obviously, from an emotional point of view and, a you know, a, a security point of view, we consider, our, we, we tie in our mortgage again with our home. Um, and we think, God, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, to put my head over the pulpit or rock the apple cart anyway. We want to just stay. We have the mortgage now. And really, I suppose, when you have a mortgage, if you're looking to switch and see if you can make savings, um, you know, that's you taking control of the mortgage. It's nothing to do with your home. Your home will still be your home no matter what. Even if you explore switching and you decide, you know what, it's not for me or I'm not going to make a saving or whatever, you need to do that. So mortgage statements are issued in the first quarter every year. So most people get it, shred it, file it, bin it, whatever it is. But the big call out is when you get it, open it up. And like I know when I opened mine, I even have a tracker rate. I looked and went, oh my God, this thing goes down so slowly. You know, you're trying to, you get to a stage in life, Carl, where you're kind of trying to pay off the mortgage as opposed to look for more debt. Um, and I think, you know, the big thing is to look at that mortgage statement, look at the balance, look at the interest rate, and then go onto the CCPC website, go onto the doddle.ie website and see if you can save by switching. It'd take you two minutes to do that and you could save thousands, but at least understand what rate you're paying. Because the only way you know if you can, if you can pay less is to know what you're, what you're actually paying or what your interest rate is. Uh, I, I think you touched on something really important there and that is uh, people have the idea that you know you call it 
emotive or, or um, the emotion around it. I would go so far as to say, in some cases, the trauma around your first mortgage application. And it is wrapped up in the paperwork and the hassle. And, and I say this from, you know, a decade ago when I was working with home buyers every day, you, th- there was a huge amount of trauma locked up in that first process. As much and all as you want the, the process to be a positive one, um, it really isn't. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of relief when it goes through. And it's probably something that people can't separate the mortgage transaction from the the home, purchasing a home, the moving, the negotiations, the being a bid, everything else. People don't seem to be able to separate it. So actually there is a certain amount of trauma there that people might not want to revisit this. So yeah. whatever it is, they accept it. And as you say, you know, file it, shred it, bin it, but they're certainly not going to engage with it to see if they can make it better. I mean, is it a case that we've been conditioned to accept you know, that we have the highest, the highest interest rates across the Eurozone. Have we just been conditioned? Yeah, but I suppose there wasn't an opportunity. So back in the recession, there wasn't an opportunity to switch because so many people were in negative equity from 2015 onwards. Then um, mortgage holders, you know, loan to value started to increase because, you know, the property market was coming back slightly. But also the banks introduced, um, you know, switcher packages and switcher products, which allowed us. But it's taken a number of years for people to understand that it's not just the financial whiz kids in the know that can do this. It's everybody should be doing this. And actually, like it's savings that you can make by switching. Interest adds no value to your mortgage. We almost as a consumer feel like our mortgages are like a tax. They come out of our bank every month. There's nothing we can do about it. We just have to pay it. And that's it. Whereas every other expense we analyze. And again, mortgage being the biggest expense, it's the one that we should be like have our eyes all over and be looking to do as much as we can. And, you know, the power is back in the hands of the consumer. Absolutely, as you say, you know, people are you know traumatized about the, the the whole first transaction of trying to buy because it is so emotive, and especially now when it's so difficult for people to buy homes. But again, I suppose once you have your home, that's you, you know, that's totally separate to your mortgage, and it's just a transaction. And the only emotion you should have once you switch your mortgage is like, thank God I did that, and smug, smug that you've saved money. <laughs> I love the smug is the term you're using there. You know, I, I think I, I can see that people would identify, you know, that they want the relief. But um, again, it, it, there's a there's a perception out there. And in a way, um, is it fair to say that the banks or the lenders are rewarded for being pretty poor to deal with and having a pretty poor and lack of digital process? Because if it was very easy to switch I think people would do it more often. So actually, in a way, the banks, they likely don't have a motivation to improve how people engage with them because by not engaging well, you keep people locked in. And quite frankly, we know telecoms providers who have used that strategy to retain customers over the past decade. So, I mean, is it a stretch to say to say that about the banks? Am I being unfair? Yeah, well, I suppose the central bank uh, in, a, in a recent enough review did look at our lenders giving enough information to, to customers at the end of every year to say, you know, these are the other rates we offer. What used to happen after and what still does happen unless you elect is after you are on a fixed rate, if you roll on off your fixed rate, you roll on to a standard variable rate and they can be up to four and a half percent. And as consumers who aren't actively reviewing their our mortgages, you know, we tend to roll on to a standard variable. There's over 200,000 households and standard variables paying up to four and a half percent. So 
on your mortgage statement, you should get a list of other rates that are a, a section that was, I set out other rates that could be applicable to you. But again, we don't tend to actively take those up. So even if we're getting a, a, a statement from a lender to say, you know, this is what you're paying, but these are the other rates you could pay. Even if we know that they're lower, we're reluctant to change. We're reluctant in case we make the wrong decision. I think sometimes when we're presented with a number of options, we're, we're I suppose, nervous to pick an option unless, you know, because we're free, the fear of the unknown or fearing making the wrong decision. And I think that's why you need market-based advice. Like clients will come to me, they're teachers, doctors, nurses, whatever it is, I couldn't do their job. And, you know, you have to come to somebody, you have to go to somebody who is an advisor in that area because mortgages are technical products, they're technical products, and you need to have assistance going through a process of either purchasing or switching. And just in terms of the point, I suppose, in terms of the documentation piece. So, there's a regulatory requirement for all mortgage applications that you have that the, the banks from a consumer protection point of view make sure the mortgage is affordable um, you know and and sustainable so when you're making a mortgage, mortgage switching application you absolutely have to go through there's some documentation that's required and that is as extensive to some degree in terms of pay slips and bank statements as when you made a mortgage initially but the big thing being that you have that mortgage you're paying that mortgage so that shows your affordability you don't have to have savings you just need to be able to show that you can make meet the mortgage repayments. So so what I would always say in terms of the documentation piece is that if you look at it, the number of hours you might put in terms of putting together a mortgage application to switch versus the saving that you would make. So we, we do an index every quarter and we take you know, the average mortgage drawn down and the average savings. So quarter four, 2021, taking an average mortgage of 267,000, um, you know, you can save up to 4,308 euros a year by switching. And that's just in one year. So for the six hours you might spend on paperwork end to end and we've calculated that with our clients it's not a bad return so I, you know it, it's something to sit down and work, work and, and is worth doing but the big thing is to get advice because I think if you start through that journey yourself and you're saying okay AIB is offering me this Bank of Ireland's that what should I do you'll end up kind of getting a bit you know overwhelmed by it and pull back so it's so important to get advice when looking to switch again you don't have to switch you can go through the process of understanding what rates and terms may be on offer to you but you you don't have to do it, but at least know what's available. And if you're somebody who will say, I am never going to switch or I can't switch or circumstances have changed, then at least call your own lender and say, well, I'm on this rate. Is there anything better you can offer me? They are never going to come to you and like force you to take a lower rate. So you have to be more proactive in, in looking to access a lower rate, even if it's with your own lender, at least do that. You know, that's, that's the, you know, that's a phone call. That's something that could save you thousands of euro just by making that phone call and taking control over what your rate is. And I, I, we're having this conversation at a time when uh, certainly for January, the cost of living and rises in the cost of living have overtaken the housing crisis in the national conversation and the political conversation for the first time in years. Um, do you think that that's likely, you know, because we're told that, um, you know, we're told routinely that Irish home um, homeowners are paying the highest rate across the eurozone in terms of interest rates, but with interest rates globally set to increase and the cost of living conversation happening, it, it doesn't take a huge stretch to say, well, that's likely to run into mortgages. The fact that mortgage that our mortgages might be the next thing to be felt in terms of the impact of this increasing cost of living, do you think that will change the will that change the mindset of people? Will that make them undertake this six hours of paperwork in order to get that kind of return? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. We see that every day, Carl. It's people coming to us saying, you know, we're worried that rates might start to increase. They're reading in the papers. Christine Lagarde last week said that they couldn't rule out a rise in European borrowing rates, which would mean that rates will start to increase. So more and more people are kind of saying, okay, well, I want to lock down a good rate now. Interest rates, mortgage interest rates are the lowest they've been in Ireland in the last 12 to 13 years right now. So if we look at it, if we're starting off from a really low base and where rates have reduced in the last 24 months of substantially and introduction of green rates, etc. So there are some really good rates on market. It's a really good time to look at rates. Irish consumers have always um, favoured two, three, five year short term fixed rates. And that's because really above that, they weren't either available or they were extremely or they were, you know, costly. So I suppose if we look at it now, again, the new entrants that have come to market have brought in um, fixed rate terms right up to actually 30 years if you wanted to. But, uh, you know, there's three, four, five, seven, 10 year fixed rates that have really good value at the moment. So if I was a consumer and I wasn't on a tracker rate because trackers are so valuable, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't encourage somebody to fix if they were on a tracker rate. But, you know, if you're not on a tracker rate, you should be really looking and saying, OK, well, what rates are out there? What can I access? And the big point being, if you're looking to fix your mortgage, don't just fix with the first lender that comes your way, because if you're fixing for five, seven, 10 years, if you get that rate, if you're paying more than you need to on that rate. It's not just in the short term. It's for an extensive period of time. And that would mean that you're paying a lot more than you need to. So I suppose I would, uh, and you know, 84% of the market took, who drew down mortgages last year, took fixed rates. So they're undoubtedly more popular than variable rates. They're actually lower than variable rates right now. But if you're looking to fix, I suppose, look at the longer term fixed rates. It might be a good opportunity to do that. Also understand if your um, proposed lender is going to allow you to overpay on your mortgage. Because if you're fixing for five, seven, 10 years and you have the means to overpay, it makes such a difference to the, the you know, the interest that you'll pay on your mortgage. Not all lenders allow overpayment while on fixed. So you might need to split your rate, part fixed, part variable, but understand if your lender will allow overpayment and then understand the break position. Like, so if you break out of a fixed rate early, you could have a break penalty. The big thing now being that the cost of funds is so low, you the cost the break penalty is related to the cost of funds when you lock in versus when you break out. And because the cost of funds is so low, it mitigates the risk of a penalty, but it certainly doesn't negate it. So just be aware that there can be a penalty if you break out of a fixed rate early. If you're in a home that you're going to be in for the long term, perhaps it's worth looking beyond that five-year fixed, which we normally look at, go to seven or 10-year fixed rate. But the big point being, make sure you get, you, you research the market and see what rate is lowest for your loan to value. So what's the lowest rate you can achieve? Because otherwise you'll be paying a lot more if you're fixing for a longer term than you would if you if you chose that lower rate. Okay, Martina, just before we finish up today, because you've definitely made it sound like there's a huge range there between the highest and the lowest. Um, that's not never the perception of the mortgage market. So can you specifically kind of talk us just through that range? Yeah, well, I suppose, you know, if we look at it, many of the the, the, the standard variable rate holders, so we, we discussed that there's like 100,000 people, or sorry, 200,000, over 200,000 people on standard variable rate. So they can be up to 4.5%. The lowest rate then on the market is 1.95%. But if we take any range in between, so we if we talk about the top end, okay, so the, the, the first-time buyer taking out a mortgage at 90% finance, they could access a three-year fixed rate at 3%, and probably one of the lenders who have the highest market share has a three-year fixed rate at 3%. And then some of the new entrants are at 2.25%. So the difference on that is huge for mortgage holders, okay? If we look and again say again that that the consumer that when we look at our index that 267,000 euro mortgage the person on paying the higher rate versus the lower rate 
is, is paying 4,300 more a year. So there is a massive range. But also the big important point, Carl, is that we have seen double digit home inflation over the last number of years. So when you look at rates, rates are tiered by loan to value. So what that means is the lenders take your mortgage amount versus the value of your home and they will give you a rate based on a threshold. And generally it's like, you know, less than 60%, 60 to 80, greater than 80% loan to value. When you hit 80% loan to value, the drop in rates is hugely substantial. It's almost a half percent. So where somebody has purchased a property, you know, even even as as recently as 2020, you know, or 2020, sorry, their loan to value is going to be so much stronger. If they borrowed at 90% at that time, because of house price inflation, their loan to value should be at 80% and they can lock lock down a much lower rate. So I suppose, you know, that's, that's a consideration. The big difference between the lenders, don't just accept the first rate you're offered. Make sure you understand what rate you could get for your loan to value. And again, that's the mortgage divided by the value of the property can differ so widely. Again, we could take the example of somebody with 60% loan to value. So a lot of our switchers, if they're switching, they've built up equity in their home. They're opting for the lowest market rates, which are 1.95%. They are coming from lenders. And at the weekend, I had a client who is paying 3.9% as a variable rate. And we could switch them. And it wasn't even to the lowest market rate. It was to to a 2.05% rate. And they were saving 595 euros a month. And it's like, I know that's like, it's like, for me, it's incredible. Like, it's like somebody coming up to you and giving you 1250 euro notes a month. Uh, like, I, I, I'd love it. I, there's a lot I could do with that, you know, but it, but it is amazing. I know that's, you know, that's just one example and not everybody says at that level, but certainly it's just for me, I am probably a, a sad mortgage nerd, but I get very excited about the fact that that is what somebody could save. Because if you don't do that, the bank is just eating up that money and interest. It adds no value to you, no value to your mortgage. And it's so important just to be so active in terms of your mortgage interest. Martina, I can just visualize somebody walking away with 1250 euro notes. <laughs> That's a very powerful way to share that. Now, a month, Carol, a month. <laughs> there's, the feeling, there's the feeling of being smug. If you can get that into your hand every month, then you, you've earned the right to feel smug. Martina, thank you so much. It, look, you've actually opened my eyes in terms of the opportunities that are out there, but, but more importantly, probably the accessibility of those opportunities Absolutely. that maybe it's not as difficult um, and that the range is much broader maybe than than consumers realize. So thank you so much for taking us through that. That was Martina uh, Martina Hennessy, Managing Director of Doddle. We need to take a quick break now. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM. Welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Carol Tanner and myself, Brian Fox. You can contact us on social media at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Dalia West Down County Development Plan is now in its final stages. Council Letty McCarthy, Labour, Cahulock of Dalia West Down County Council and Senator Jerry Hawken Field Fall gave their thoughts on it. You had a, a, um, a meeting there. I think it was the final meeting, wasn't it, of the um, County Development Plan, uh, where you're going with it and so forth? It's, it's not quite the final meeting, but it, it was a briefing of the final meeting. Um, we had that on... Monday, wasn't it? Monday night or Tuesday night, maybe. Um, so it was, I mean, it's a statutory process. So the planners are are legally obliged to take us through the process so that no member can say they didn't understand um, what was the procedure from here on in. 
So we're, we're at the stage where it was out, out public consultation. The planning team held public meetings here in Dundrum and down in Dunleary to cover both sides of the county to answer any queries that members of the public would have had. Uh, all the maps were on display in Dundrum Council office and in Dunleary and, um, and people made their submissions. So there was, I think, 120 submissions. And this is this is at the final stage. We're not at the stage now. Now, Are we happy with 120? Opening. Well, it's it's people's views. So, you know, uh, um, there are people that want to meet with us and chat with us. And, and that's that's how the process works. And, uh, and then councillors have until, I think it's next Thursday, to put motions in. Um, so we'll have, we have two meetings, three meetings, in fact, penciled in in March to go through. We have to go through each page of, um, of, the, of the document as, uh, as it is now. So it's, but it's not... It's not at the level of uh, deciding we want to rezone land in the corner or something. Where you, you know, it's it's not any major stuff at this stage. It's yeah. just down to the tidying up, if you like, yeah. um, and issues that that came to the table during the last session. Sure. Um, you know, because they they went out on public display, and there's a few areas like that, and then the public are obviously concerned about it. So yeah. they're they're. I, I, don't, I don't mean to make light of it, and I'm only I mean just being specific, specific because it did something. Uh, came to light in relation to the roundabouts from Glenageary, I think. Uh, did, was there anything? There was a lot of, you see, I, I suppose what most people don't appreciate and understand is, and even some of our members, um, when, when, when a local authority is starting to do their development plan, and it is a very, very, very important document. And it is the blueprint for everything that happens, not just development, but policy and um, and pretty much everything that happens within the county over the next six years. But upon saying that, we don't start with a blank canvas. We must take on board whatever government policy is there. We, we inherit that, whether we want it or not. So even if there's some government policy that we don't particularly agree with, we don't have the power to override that. So we, we can put stuff into the development plan that's completely at variance with government policy. But, it, you know, it's a bit of a nonsense um, because uh, let's say, for example, it was in planning um, and something goes to Onboardsplanola, Onboardsplanola will go yeah. to government policy straight away. Um, and the minister of whatever minister of the day it is, whatever area we're talking about, they, if they so wish, may come in and remove that particular part from our plan. Okay. So even though it's councillors that have the say, that have the say if, if, or we have the say, if we stay within the parameters provided under the legislation, does okay. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but, the, but please, I think it's, yeah, it's fair yeah. to say, and you know, it's kind of slightly strange for me, this is the first development plan that I won't have had a say in because I haven't been a councillor. I would have been involved with the plan that was approved in 2004 for 4 to 10 and then one from 10 to 16 and the one indeed from 16 to 22 so this is the first time I haven't been involved but you know the only people in the in the country who can actually rezone land are members of local authorities nobody else so it's a very significant process the f part of the process that the, the councillor now in is where you can only amend and go back on the changes that you made at the last stage you can't introduce 
new stuff at this stage, which is why the level of submissions is a lot smaller. Okay. There would have probably been a lot more submissions and certainly in the past, Dunleary right down, I remember having 2,600 mm-hmm. submissions well, yeah, in, for development at an yeah. earlier stage. Okay, yes, and we were only about half the size less yeah. than Dublin City. And I remember when we had 2,600 submissions, Dublin City only had 800. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. people of Dunleary right down who live here and who are interested in this area are actually very interested in their area and very uh, participative in, in their contributions. Um, but at this point of the plan, all you can do is undo what you've already changed at the last phase. You can't introduce new stuff at all. So there's much less opportunity, I think it's fair to say, at this mm. point to alter it. Um, but it is, I mean, ultimately it's a planning document. It's, yeah. That's its basis. Yeah. And you do find, you know, councillors in the past would have been like, you know, we should ban trees or the certain types of trees and various things. Yeah. Like, that's more of an operational thing. So, so, um, so it, it's a, But fundamentally it's, it's how every planning application will be assessed. Every planning application that comes into Dunleary Down Planners, assessed by the planning team, the executive, will be judged is it in compliance with or not okay. the county development plan. Yeah. And if it yeah. isn't, it probably it's unlikely to get the go-ahead. Now, yeah. sometimes if national policy changes, the members may be told to come back and change things. But there was a time you know, when John Gormley tried to change a plan and stop something as a minister... And in fact, the predictor developer went to court and yeah. was right. And the court said to the minister, go back and change. You haven't the power to do that. Go back and reinstate the decision of the councillors prior to um, your, the minister getting involved. So, I mean, the councillors do have a, a very, it's a, one of the most powerful, um, I suppose, uh, tools True. that councillors have in terms of influencing policy. And a lot it's, of things it's, are it's, not councillor, you know, it's the executive can do what they, not do what they like, but the executive, it's an executive function. Uh, the reserve functions, but executive functions, mm-hmm. this is a reserve function and probably the most important one the councillors have. Well, I, I think it's absolutely the most important role of a councillor. Yeah. You know, it, it is. And it's, you know, things like uh, rezoning land, as Jerry said, I mean, that is, and, and the reasons that we are given permission, if you like, to do that. I mean, that's set out very, very clearly. Uh, you know, if 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 you're my husband, Brian, and you, I, I can make you rich by rezoning your few acres in the corner, that's not my role and that's not why I'm there. And we need to be able to justify... You'd actually have to upset yourself from that decision. Because yes, you would, but, yeah. but you'd need to make sure nobody else was doing it either. Mm. But, you know, it's... it's um, the parameters as to why we would rezone land, it's laid out very, very clearly. And if we have a motion down to rezone land, we need to have a reason. Mm. Um, but we need to have a viable and a logic, logical reason. And it's to get away from the days when acres and acres were rezoned, uh, you know, even though planners were saying we don't need this land. We have enough land zoned to, I think one development plan, Jerry, it was we have enough land zoned to build 36,000 houses, which we were never going to reach during the five-year term of the yeah. development plan. And I think there was, a, there was another county, and I won't name them, but I think they had 107 years worth of housing need zoned for, provided for, in a very rural area where the need wasn't there and houses were going to be built or potentially built in all kinds of places where there was no need. And, and we saw the ghost estates and stuff that that happened, not not so much in the Dublin area, but further yeah. uh, further afield. Yeah, yeah, I just want to put it to you, you're at the county, you're like, what's your take, I suppose, is, is, is how I put it, with the problem the council are having with developers in, in the county in relation to their wish to build more one-bedroom apartments as opposed to three-bedroom apartments. Do you think, will there be any meeting of minds in relation to that? We have it down in Dundrum at the moment with Hammerson at the moment, the developers there want to put in... Um, 
one bedroom as opposed to three bedrooms. I suppose it's cost-wise they don't see it as being profitable. What would you think there will be very quickly? Um, any I think there has to be. I mean, you know, we, we, we have, everybody is looking for housing in in the county and not yeah. just in the county but in Dublin yeah. and it's not just single people um, you know we do need a mix we do need uh, family homes sure. we do need and if it's apartments we need family apartments and and we also need I mean again I know it's government policy whereby we're not I mean if you want to start me on development Brian we'll be here until uh, tomorrow um, you, you know all the planning applications that are coming in and I get it where, where we're trying to reduce our carbon footprint we're trying to encourage, Carola, right. well on board for an all well yeah that's that's with the with the, the yeah, yeah. strategic planning units um but you know the, the 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 whole thinking behind it is oh we're not providing car parking spacing spaces because we expect whoever buys or rents these apartments we expect them to uh, to walk cycle or use public transport to get around and to get to work you know show me the areas around Dublin or I can show you the areas where we don't really have public transport. I mean, you take up in my own area and step aside in Kilturnan, uh, you know, where we're building beside schools, but the schools are full and we don't have, I mean, you take along the Enniskerry Road, most of that road, there isn't room for a cycle track, never mind have one there. Um, and and it is all about safety, but we are giving planning permissions with reduced parking spaces. Now, even if you don't use your car all the time, and, and you know, we'd have this in, in Holland where most people cycle, but there's still, the car ownership is high and they have places to park the car. Your car is not something you can fold away and put in the attic uh, that you might need it to go on holidays down down the country uh, with, with your family. Um, and, and I mean, we have it in the Gallops estate at the moment where developments that are happening close by and the developers are clogging up the estate because they're coming in to work um, you oh, know the, the construction workers yeah, yeah. and they're clogging up the estate so yeah. you know we need we need to practice what we preach and if I'm a developer saying you know we I'm, I'm going to build 500 apartments but I'm only going to have 100 car parking spaces well then if we expect the people who buy them or rent them to be able to get and manage without a car so should our construction workers you know the, the irony of it is I mean, just I think there's a, there's a point to be made about the mix of apartment sizes Family formation is different now than it was. People are tending to form families later, have less children. And there is a, there's absolutely a need for one and two bed apartments, but there's absolutely a need for a three bed family sized um, that you're going to potentially live in and rear a family in as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's not so much I don't think about the price. I mean, the market, you're not going to build loads and loads of one bed apartments if everybody wants three bed apartments and you're not going to build loads and loads of three bed apartments when there's a massive demand for one and two bed apartments. I think, you know, developers... It's exactly what it says on the tin. They develop and they're developing to a market that they see out there, whether, that be, to, whether that be student accommodation, whether that be people who are transient workers who are here for a few years working in some of the multinationals and, you know, coming in from other countries um, to work in a Facebook or a Google or an eBay or a PayPal or whatever. And they don't necessarily want or need or could afford uh, a three-bed apartment, but yeah. they could be living on their own. There could be a couple. Um, so, it's, in other words, not the profit motive you're saying. It's it's the. I it's mean, what, what, developers will always work for a profit. Of course, motive, but, you yeah, know, obviously, but it's uh, not solely the reason for development. I, as such, I would suggest that the planner is going to look at the market and develop what is most attractive for, for the market. Yes, and if that's one bed, it's one bed. Yeah. If it's two beds, it's two beds. Right. If it's three beds, it's Good three point. beds. Yeah. And families 
are smaller now than they were when I was growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew people who had seven and eight siblings. You don't hear that too often anymore. Very good. So, you know, but it, it has to be for the long run. We also have a lot of more separation and people, you know, who are having maybe family homes. Of you need two up. family I mean, homes, yeah. basically have lots of that. I mean, I know houses in my area where where there were 20 people living in a row of four houses. There's now three people living in those four houses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, three elderly yes. people, yeah. one in each, yes. and one of them is empty. Yeah, um, yeah. Because, and now those houses will, investors. over time, yeah. um, become larger family homes again, but not maybe as big as they would have been historically. Well, the turnovers, yes. And just less, you know, people are not having the same number of children but, by but, and large. But, but, I, I, want, I want to, yeah, just... Right, we, but it has to be with, with apartments, and as Jerry said there, for families. I mean, it, you know, you have to be able to live in it. There has to be storage yes. space. If you have a baby, Living space. All the space that a baby takes up, you know, people don't realise. A place for bicycle equipment, a place yeah. for yeah, ski, you know, if you're a skier or a play person who plays tennis, play place for all. But, it's but not on, somebody who just has five shirts and a hanger and, yeah. you know, goes yeah. home to the country at the weekend. That's not what, we, we can't just be building those. That was Councillor Eddie McCarthy, Labour, Cahirlock of Dunleary Town County Council, and Senator Jerry Horkin of Fall, giving their thoughts on the county development plan now that it's in its final stages. And that's it from Property Matters this week with Carol Tyler and myself, Brian Fox. You can get in touch with the show on social media at iProperty Radio or by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com. My thanks to Luke Delaney and Peter Rice and Sound. We'll be back at the same time next week. Mm-hmm.